baby countdown is upon us. Upon us. The due date is the Feast of the Transfiguration, mm-hmm. August 6, which is uh, two weeks from last Sunday, right? Is yes. It, is it really? No, no, two weeks Three. from this coming Sunday. Yeah. Sunday's the 23rd. So um, we have a We're in link. The final throws. We have a link on the website for people to place bets yeah. as to whether or not the baby will come early or late. But certainly, uh, your face has turn toward baby Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you and, and your wife getting ready for uh, for this baby. Um, and um, so I'm curious as to, I mean, I, it's been 11 years since my headspace has been there. Mm-hmm. Where are you now? Uh, what are you thinking about? What's what's happening? Uh, yeah. what, are, what are you feeling? Well, what are the emotions? Are you going through the whole the whole range? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the range will come. Um, you know, there's been no uh, there's no been no close calls yet. So you know that real excitement hasn't hit yet. But I'm definitely excited. Um, but my focus is on is on you know my 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 forthcoming son. Um, I've, it's hard to think about much else when you know that that is, you know, could be coming any day. Um, I was joking that. You know, if he comes early, he should do it in six days on the Feast of St. James on his namesake. Be great. Um, and if he's not doing that, then might as well wait to the Transfiguration. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been on my mind. And, you know, I preached this past Sunday on, you know, life in the Spirit and why that's been on my mind as I think about, you know, training my own son to, to live a life in the Spirit. And when he receives the Holy Spirit at baptism, what will be some of the you know, identifying marks as he grows up. Um, Which I was impressed, by the way, that you've been thinking about that because, um, and I know you are. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not suggesting you haven't been. But <laughs> I remember my first child, though I, the spiritual component was there. But I was much more obsessed and anxious about more practical the matters practical than that. <clears throat> well, uh, I can spent, I change a know, diaper? Do I know how to do this? I, I was practicing swaddling yesterday and, and on a changing, baby doll, I hope, or, <clears throat> you know, or a cat. Uh, Actually, on a stuffed teddy bear that uh, was my teddy bear growing up. So, you know, it's come full circle. Um, but I, I spent 45 minutes trying to put together a pack and play and um, I was joking to you that nothing makes me feel less educated exactly. than trying to put together baby toys and all the safety features. So, um, but yeah, I mean the the you know weight of training a, a new Christian um, you know is is on the horizon. And so I started thinking about you know what are the marks in my own life that make me feel like you know this is a life in the spirit. You know if I'm doing this, this is what what should be bearing fruit in my life. Well, it, it takes on a whole new, you know, responsibility when when it's my own kid and thinking about what do I want him to be doing that will signify life in the spirit? How can I cultivate, you know, a context that makes that most likely to happen um, and that, that helps him grow into, you know, the, the Christian that he is called to be? What has... So you're coming at the end of 40 weeks, yeah, nine months. And as, as I've said here many, many times, 40 is that great biblical number of change, transition, yeah. new life, 40 days, 40 years. And the greatest example that's innate in every human being is the normal gestation of 40 weeks in the womb of our, yeah. our mother. The water breaks. We come forward into new life. That's, I mean, the biblical imagery is rich. Right. Um, what has been 
for you and for Chloe, definitely different experiences. But there's been a wilderness period mm-hmm. of uh, of this pregnancy. I'm just curious, any any insights that that you have that have surprised you? Any reflections on that waiting, that yeah. that um, anticipation yeah. of 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 what is to come? Well. I, I'll tell you this. I know I'm uh, much more mature than I used to be in the past because I've uh, come to grips with the fact that I, I don't know what I'm doing and it's going to be okay. Um, I think, you know, me a few years ago would have been obsessed with every little detail, making sure everything I know exactly how to, you know, do this and I know exactly what signs to look for. And, you know, I, I've done my best to educate myself. Um, but at the same time, I have this, um, you know, kind of. Uh, not carelessness, but you know, I'm under no pretense that I'm going to be an expert at this day one, and it's going to be fine. Um, you know, I, I know enough to make sure that he's safe, and we have you know all of that ready to go. But beyond that, you know, the actual day to day experience, um, it's, it's going to come with come with experience. Well, and, and a... I'm going to make mistakes and learn from him, and he's going to teach me things, and, uh-huh. and I'm actually kind of excited for that. There's a real spiritual spiritual principle in that, in that. Um, I remember thinking, similarly, I wasn't as obsessed with the details maybe as, as you would have been, but that people have been giving birth for an awful, yeah. awful long yeah. time. There's a comfort there. There's a comfort there without websites or books or even collective wisdom. I mean, and have been raising kids for yes. An awfully so long there's, time. this is common to everyone. Yeah. Yet, despite that universal principle that every nation, race, etc., has been doing this. This would be your child, mm-hmm. and it's unique to you. And the yeah. circumstances, even though there will be something common to all, will be uniquely yours and uniquely yeah. Chloe's in the same way that the spiritual life has some great unifying common principles. Yeah. We'll talk about life in the Spirit uh, in a moment. But yet, our own relationship with Jesus is uniquely ours. Mm-hmm. Our context, circumstances, struggles, joys, are uniquely ours, and we live in that both. It's common. It's everyone has the same experience to a degree, but but mine is uniquely yeah. mine as well. And, and no so, one will ever be able to understand it nope, like you absolutely do. Absolutely not. Uh, the general principles. We all have an idea of parents of what it's like to to wait to yeah. have the birth to raise the child. Those initial feelings. But I didn't give birth to. Well, I, my wife didn't give birth to your child. <laughs> exactly. You know, I didn't cut your child's cord. Yeah. That that's something that uh, that is just will be yours, and that's that's a that's a great gift as well. So yeah, I mean you can prepare as much as you can, but when it happens, um, you have to. I guess we have to trust that we are prepared enough to be able to respond in the moment, to know what we need to do both right. in the birth, God willing, all goes smoothly and well, and um, but also in, in raising a child. Um, so our focus today is really reflecting on on that comment you made in your homily about because I was I was struck by that that you're thinking about all right mm-hmm. I've got the pack and play we've got the bottles we've got you know this that and the other what are we doing spiritually yeah. now how am I I mean I can practice on on the I can practice swaddling I can practice swaddling how do I practice the spiritual life because it is different and you know this you know this intuitively being being a priest and shepherding as a spiritual father mm-hmm. is one thing but living with someone and raising them in that context is completely yeah. different 
Um, and you don't even know what that's going to be nope. like yet. You nope. can imagine. Or when it will come. Yeah, you can imagine <clears throat> what it would be like. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And then providentially, the, the, the feast we celebrate today on yeah. Wednesday, July 19th, is Macrina, the, um, the sister of, a fa- well, I mean, talk about eight it. or nine. Talk about an overachieving family. Yeah. Depending on what tradition you, you look at, which orthodox variation. I mean, we certainly all the church recognizes Basil and Gregory yep. as saints. Yep. Um, grandmother, Macrina, Macrina the Elder, the elder yeah. is a saint. But I think some even think of maybe her father as a saint. Yeah. Uh, younger brother Peter as a saint. Setting the bar a little too high. Yeah, I mean, talk family. about talk about um, an obnoxious Thanksgiving gathering. Yeah, you know this collection of holiness. This yeah. imagine being the two of the eight who aren't saints. Yeah, but yeah, but clearly, clearly. Um, <clears throat> Their parents and grandparents did something right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that, that's sort of the backdrop of our reflections on on um, domestic holiness, yeah. domestic spirituality, and living in the faith. Let me open us in prayer, and then uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Romans that we had this past Sunday. Let us pray. O Almighty God, who has compassed us about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Grant that we, encouraged by the good example of thy servant Macrina, may persevere in running the race that is set before us, until at length, through thy mercy, we may with her attain to thine eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So our epistle this past Sunday was from Romans 8, and it will be again um, this coming Sunday, the, the second half of the chapter. Um, and this is, you know, I think some of Paul's densest, um, most intense writings. I'm really getting to, you know, law, sin, spirit, flesh, death, life. I mean, you know, the, the real foundations of our faith. But um, the, the whole chapter is good. But, you know, the, the part that really has been sticking with me is is picking up in verse 9 of Romans 8, where he says, But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And he goes on to talk about, you know, living according to the Spirit um, and not according to the flesh. And so, you know, one of the things I, I preached about is what are the marks of that? How do we know if we're doing that? Because as a, as a future father, I'm, you know, part of my um, anxiety is I want to make sure my kid is living life in the spirit. Um, you know, we will rejoice, um, you know, not long after he is born when he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, the rest of his life is living into that, um, taking on that as his own, taking on, you know, the, the attributes of life in the spirit. So what does that practically look like. And so one of the things I, I preached about is um, pseudo-Ambrose, or Ambrosiaster, this, you know, anonymous author, church father, who kind of gives three marks. And he says, you know, we're given a new ability. Basically, we're able to actually do the right things now. We're given a new future. We have eternal life. And then we're given a new conscience because our, our guilt is wiped clean. And he kind of gives practical advice for all of those. Um, the new ability, I think, is the one that we all focus on. Are you doing the right thing? Are you a good person or a bad person? But that's not the that's not the complete picture. The new future, 
what are you are you sure of your eternal life um do you live you know as if the resurrection is impacting your day-to-day life there are kind of ways in which we can see that play out and then the new conscience and i think this is a really good point that he makes is are you willing to forgive other people because if you hold back forgiveness of other people, it's usually a clue that you're not quite accepting the forgiveness that Jesus has offered you. So that was some of the things I preached at um, or preached about. But I'd be curious to you who's gone through this with three people, where do you start to see life in the Spirit actually taking place in kids? I mean, you know, they go from you saying the vows for them to slowly learning how to take them on as their own. And I think you know, most parents have the, the essential checklist. Don't lie. Don't be mean to your brother and sister. You know, do the right thing. Be respectful. But there's, there's something else that we strive for as Christian families. We don't just want them to be kind. You know, we want them to be a good example of Christian charity and, and love. And that asks us to go a little bit deeper than just, you know, be kind and don't say mean things. Well... <laughs> I'm not going to remotely set myself up as the as the exemplar of, uh, of Christian parenting. Every parent, um, well, maybe not every parent. I was among that number that said with uh, great confidence when um, Sherilyn was pregnant with our first, my child will. Yeah. And that was followed by either will never or will always, yeah. and that that statement never came out of my mouth. Again, after the yeah. first child, you do the best you can. You will make a lot of mistakes. And some of those mistakes you don't realize you made until later, mm-hmm. upon reflection. You can do all the right things, and then still the outcome may be different than your yeah. than your desire. Um, and that is, that is life. That is the reality. That being said, there are things, I think, that we can and should do that are... Again, we're in the great reservoir of reservoir of the church's witness and experience to, sh- to share to say this is um, this is helpful guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I are, are we had this wonderful Latin class that started two yeah. weeks ago. We had 25, 26 people, all adults yeah. taking Latin, which is really a lot of fun, and, and it's one of those great learning it's good. experiences. We're all students where, again. Yeah, we're students again, and we're actually we're going back and forth. And there's a point in saying this: we're going back and forth, like I'm quizzing you, like yeah. what's what's the date of singular um, ending for first declension noun? Which, to be fair, it's all we've studied so far, so it's pretty easy. Um, but learning a language in later life and adulthood is not easy unless your brain is wired to absorb yeah. languages, which is not mine. I'm assuming not necessarily yours. I'm, unfortunately, I don't think it's most Americans. Exactly. We grew up learning one, maybe May, two. Maybe two. But but if you think about what always intrigues me is that, so here's how we're learning it. We're, we're learning endings. We're learning declensions. Mm-hmm. We're learning grammar. And the only way we're going to master this is by rote repetition yeah. and doing that. And that is completely not how language is learned right. um, um, by children. Naturally. Naturally. Yeah. They learn it by absorbing it. They're learning by seeing yep. it. They're learning by repeating it. And and um, and imitation mm-hmm. is how they do it. When you have your baby, this is how you'll teach. Right. Dada, 
mama, mama. and all of a sudden there'll be a there'll be a parrot or mockingbird right. and just repeat it and then over time they'll make those connections and then the grammar and the syntax and sentence structure becomes something that they intuitively understand you don't teach them past tense and future right. tense they just all of a sudden pick it up right because they, they make sense of it i think teaching um life in christ life in the spirit has to be done with that same approach is that you just simply don't look at a child and say memorize these things mm -hmm. and then you'll get it it has to be modeled yep. holistically from beginning to end yep. it has to be the language of the house the language of the mm -hmm. family is that this is the life of faith and so i in my experience is that they they just simply pick it up and and they they understand or at least they <clears throat> Even if they don't, like, for, here, here's an example. When I was in school in South Carolina, there was a fad in education that did not happen in my parents' generation, nor do I think happen in my children's generation. And that is, I'm 44 years old, I have many degrees, I've never diagrammed a sentence once in my life. Oh, are you serious? I've never been asked to diagram a sentence yeah. once in my like life. The verb, that subject, object. I cannot do it. Yeah, I have, the whole I have no idea how to do it, and hmm. and it, I didn't understand um, parts of speech or you know the grammatical breakdown until learning a foreign language, and I had I had to learn it then because the the fad at that point or the trend was to do more contextual reading yeah. comprehension, um, and then and then you will get it. So it may be that once we teach our children, they may not be able to diagram the sentence and say this is what these things yep. are, but they understand the context. They yeah. just know this is right and this is wrong, and you know, and, and those sorts of things. And so I found that my own children are able to. Um, they have within them a surprising amount of of of. Um, I'm not going to say knowledge, but exposure and understanding yeah. of things, even if they can't articulate perfectly yeah. what all that means. In an example, again, the other night, um, I found I was, I was surprised. One of my kids was was just joking around, but end up singing all of O Salutaris Hostia. Yeah. Yeah. O saving victim, because they come to evening prayer and benediction mm -hmm. every week. Now they may not be able to give a full treatise about sacramental presence and exposition, um, exposition and benediction and all that, but they know the Eucharistic yep. hymn, yep. and that's a place to begin, because then they have the exposure, and now they can build and on the that. language. Yeah, so it's like it's like um, it's like when you go to an art gallery. You want to look at the painting and absorb it, mm -hmm. and then later reflect, and then go deeper into the style and the history and the technique and the symbolism and all that. But first, let me see it. You, it's, it's difficult to do it the other way. Yeah. So I think in, in a Christian home, is the language of the house one of faith? Is the whole background noise one of faith? Yeah. And I think that's a far better place to build a foundation than to shoehorn it in uh, 15 minutes a week where it's it's just kind of like a compulsory activity you have to do. Everyone's going to resist that. Yeah. But if you begin early and, and make this, this is who we are and what we do, I still get resistance from my children because they're children, but not nearly to the degree that um, other other families may have, and it's not because my kids are the priest kids and they're they are therefore objectively better or holier. Right. No, no, no. It's this they've known no other context, yep. so yep. they don't know there's another way to do it because we've all done it. We've all yeah. spoken that language. I think you bring up a good a good point, which is the whole context, and that you know 
I think we've we've said without actually saying is an intentional choice. I mean, you have to <clears throat> intentionally before the kid is growing up, before the kid is born, you know, before your kids are making their decisions on their own, have that context kind of already assumed so that for them it's it's second nature. Completely. Um, I tell I tell married couples or couples getting married Almost always, with few exceptions, they come to me and they're not churchgoers, yep. or they go to different church, or they were raised in different traditions, and so they're not going anywhere. Right. And they always say, we'll, we'll get this sorted out uh, no, when we won't. have kids. I said, don't. Don't wait till you have a kid yeah. to sort out your faith, because yeah. you'll never sort it out. Do right. it now and have that ready so when the kid comes, it's just, you know, because you you're going to have too much going on in two or three weeks yeah. to worry about, um, to try to manufacture a spirituality. Yep. Yep. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and I th- uh, that's a great point. You don't you don't manufacture something that wasn't there to begin with. Um, it's got to be second nature for you, and then it will become second nature for your kids. And, I mean, so I, I was reading, you know, I'm trying to read about parenthood and went back and actually read, um, what was the one second... Uh, Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, uh, you know, encyclical about... Lumen Gentium. Gentium, yes, that's right. So Our we, Latin pronunciation. We studied that yes, Sunday. We, need, so, to, we yeah. need to get better at that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's where, you know, the phrase domestic church was, was first coined. And, and some of these, you know, intentional decisions that are made. But I, I came across this good article of a mom talking about um, her maternity leave and, and some of the, you know, challenges with that and, and some of the benefits of that. And one of the things that she said was a mindset shift for her. And I think this will be similar for me. As she talked about when she was in college in her dorm, it was, you know, the home was a practical place to sleep and charge your phone because you needed somewhere to put your stuff. And I think that was very similar probably for most people in college. I mean, the dorm is hardly a home. It's, it's, you know, hopefully a a decent bedroom. Um, And then, you know, you get married. and, And for Chloe and I, you know, the home somewhat became more like a home. But now I'm starting to think about um, this will be, you know, this kid's place to grow. Um, this will be, you know, my son's area to experience the world for the first time. And all of a sudden I'm starting to become aware what things are up on our walls. Um, you know, what are the, what are the meals we're going to be sharing? What, all of these little choices. Um, and in this article, you know, this mom was talking about how she started to, I think the phrase she used was she brought her A-game to her home. You know, what she used to use at her job or, you know, all of her creative passions that went somewhere else, she put all into her home then. And I think there's a point to be made there that um, for, you know, our children, they deserve a, a home that is intentionally built in, in every area to cultivate, you know, spirituality. And so all of a sudden I'm looking at my walls, at the artwork we've hung up, at pictures, and, and thinking what message will that convey? I'm, I'm looking at how Chloe and I spend our time and think what, what spiritual message does this convey? Unfortunately, most of the time it's not much at all. You know, it, it becomes a place of distraction or, you know, of... of you know, base entertainment until we, you know, leave and, and go do something else. Um, but that setting the stage or priming the pump, I mean, whatever you want to call it, um, having icons on the wall, you know, I've got, I've got some icons on the wall. I, I ordered a little travel, you know, diptych of um, Christ and his mother and a little crucifix for us to bring to the hospital. I'm going to put that in our go bag. Yeah. You know, just thinking from, from beginning, you know, when he first 
you know, enters the world before he can actually see anything yet. But I, I want those things to be there. I want that that context to be assumed, to be natural. When I was um, just not long married, Sherilyn was not pregnant, but this was this long story. This is when I was flirting with orthodoxy, when mm-hmm. I was still in the Methodist church. And I would go to um, Vespers every Tuesday yeah. night. And there, I remember being so touched and inspired. So this this Orthodox uh, mission was in a house that they rented or bought, yeah. and they would just use. They turned the living room into a, a worship space. The house wasn't used for family living, just for just for this church uh, to, to 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 grow. And, our, and so, in the Orthodox Church, there are no pews or chairs yeah. usually. And so there's more freedom of movement, people moving around. And kids, if they need to sit down or sit in the corner, they just sit down. And, and there's one little child, I think it was a little girl, was sitting there. And you know they had these little plush little books where you can insert little pictures or things yeah, yeah. in there. And it was a you know it was a plush book that it wouldn't cut her and it was somewhat quiet. But you insert your own pictures. And so as she was turning the page, they were just simply little... Um, like business card-sized icons yeah. that the parents had slid in there. Yeah. And so instead of looking and seeing pictures of Disney characters or family members or whatever else, this child was looking at pictures of the saints. And yeah. that was, that was from the very beginning, a natural thing for her. And I think that um, now most homes are not going to be as religiously decorated as yours and mine likely will be. Maybe and you know and that's you know fair enough fair enough um, we we are in the we are we are in the position to be around more religious artifacts and pay attention yeah. to them to do yeah. that but the point I would say is when your child is ten or eleven and they come home and see a Bible laying around the house yeah. would that be strange to them or would they not even notice it because it's natural no. have they would seeing a cross in a domestic setting not in a church be strange to them, or would it be something that seems natural? And the hope would be seeing a Bible or seeing an icon or seeing a cross or multiple in your home um, um, should be natural. We don't want religious items to be like the fine china. And then once they see it, they ask, What's happening? What's, Who's what's coming over? Yeah. What's going on? Because this only happens on certain occasions. Do I have to dress up? We want the Bible to be like the 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 plastic plate that we use yeah. most every day. We want the cross to be to be that familiar um, cup that we put our juice mm-hmm. in that it's there, and we will notice it if it's not there, right? And not notice it if it is when there. It's there. And um, that is a small small thing, and you know, and again. My house would be different than most. I think every room has a cross in it over the door. I just have lots of crosses. Yeah. But the kids have it in their room. Each child has a crucifix in I their room. I just bought one to put above his bassinet. Yep. And, um, and, and what I have learned is when they've rearranged their room or changed rooms or their tastes have changed and they move away from the real childish things, yeah. and my boys have more of a sports or outdoorsy, fishing, hunting kind of yeah. motif, the cross is included when they do their, do their redecorating. Yeah. You know, and they just... Not only do they, and I've never said you must have that there. I think they feel like this is what is supposed to be here, mm-hmm. and it's a sense of comfort mm-hmm. on that. And these are small, small things that are good not only for for parents but anyone yeah. to have in their home, just to have it natural. Yeah. Going back to to Romans eight, um, 
just one more point I want to make because so a couple of weeks ago I, I preached on this movie, The Tree of Life, and honestly, I'm surprised it took me three years to finally preach on it. Um, it's I, it's my favorite movie, and and it's you know follows a, a a family dealing with grief, but also the way that you know the mother and father parent this child, and as he's reflecting on Mine it, on his Ghostbusters, that just shows the difference well, between you and me. But go. Uh, both are good. Both are good. Both involved but, the supernatural. You know, Paul's language is uh, life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Um, the tree of life, you know, introduces it by talking about the way of nature versus grace. Um, you know, and, and they're not trying to say that. Um, you know, flesh and the body is bad. That's not what Paul's saying, but he's saying a life, you know, entirely focused on sinful flesh is different than focused on the way of the spirit. Um, but the, this movie opens with this wonderful line um, that I want to read. And, you know, it, it's this son reflecting on the way his mother demonstrated this way of the spirit or this way of grace. And, you know, her voiceover kind of opens the movie with this, this quote. The nuns taught us that there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose, choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it and love is smiling through all things. They taught us that no one who ever loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. I will be true to you, whatever comes." And one of the things that I'm curious about, because that has been playing through my mind about how do I, how do I live into the way of grace and how do I teach that to people? Um, I think one of the things that and this may just be me, but maybe one of the worries that a lot of parents have is to not lord it over them. Um, they don't want to. They don't want to force their kids to do anything. That idea of discipline, you know, comes into play. Um, what does it look like to teach grace and not lord it over people? You know, like like this way of nature. Um, but the way of grace does necessitate some structure, some, you know, discipline, some form of um, correction. And so, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about the, the role of that within the family. I think that, um, I mean, we were chatting briefly before we started, and yeah. I think teaching the importance of grace is one of the most fun, and, and is all of my children now are either teenagers or almost teenagers. The role of grace to me is more important than it was when they were toddlers, mm -hmm. because um, you know when they're toddlers or little children, a lot, I mean their 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 sins are um, instinctive. You know, I'm hungry, yeah. uh, uh, not sharing, whatever, not being whatever. But when they get older, it becomes far more premeditated, yeah. and 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 the and the infractions take on a much greater significance yeah. and, and and much more dangerous when they get involved to things. Um, I think that I'll say two things. I think that discipline needs to be consistent and needs to be important. That being said, grace needs to abound even even more. Um, I think that like my children, they have to brush their teeth every day. They have to shower. They have to um, put their dishes in the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, there is 
punishment, not because I'm lording it over them, but I can't infantilize them and they've got to grow up yep. and they've got to take responsibility. You know, sort of um, boyhood excuses need to become um, adult responsibility, you know, yeah. a responsibility of manhood or womanhood um, in doing that. But the best ex- what I'm, the best image of, of parental grace that, again, moved me, I think I said this on a previous episode, was Billy Graham's funeral. His One of his daughters who had been the one that had been the most prodigal of all the children, yeah. I mean, maybe multiple marriages, sorted relationships, all the things you would not expect the daughter of Billy Graham to do. And she, I think she was in California and, mm-hmm. and moved in with a man and he left her and, was, and she just hit rock bottom and she called and said, I'm coming home. And she was just anticipating this great sense of judgment, you know, and then she pulled up, I think he lived in, you know, Black Mountain at the time. Yep pulled up the driveway of the, of the winding mountain road and there was the father Billy Graham was standing in the driveway waiting on her arms outstretched she knew what she had I mean very, yeah. it was absolutely a, um, a, a modern version of the prodigal yeah. son coming in and it was just grace yeah. is I know you're hurting I know and you know there's, not, there's no point for a lecture you figured that out now yep. what you need now is grace so whenever we whenever we have a whenever we have a conflict or whenever there's punishment the discipline needs to be clear and not capricious and 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 needs to be just. But grace and forgiveness also needs to be as evidently demonstrated that now this is over. Now I have moved on. And so if I've moved on, heaven knows you should move on yeah. now to the child. There's grace. And that, and that you know, like I, tell, I try to tell my children, you know, you're going to make mistakes. And I need you to understand, I'm not going to be shocked when you screw up. Yeah. I'm not going to be shocked when you screw up royally. There is grace because... Mm-hmm. We have to understand human condition, but what I what I want you to not do is I don't want you to lie. Yeah, I don't want you to be deceptive when you when you make those mistakes. I mean that's that's the 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 more I'm the longer I live as a parent, the more the story of Adam and Eve ceases to be that cartoonish mythological seen yeah. at the beginning of the Bible to one that has extraordinary spiritual currency and relevance to me as a parent, because that is where we see human nature concisely on display, is that we screw up, we blame, we avoid, we, 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 mm-hmm. we hide. hide. And that's the opposite. I mean, that's, that's, that's a complete um, unawareness of the power of grace right. when we do that. And so what I want mine to understand is you're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. Don't hide. Don't lie. Don't blame. Own it. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we understand grace, doesn't mean that, that you're not responsible for your actions, but it's that there's this understanding that, that there is a new opportunity. You can fix it to the best mm-hmm. of your ability, and there may be some correction, but I love you. Yeah. And I knew you were going to mess up before you knew you were going to mess up. I didn't know specifically what you were going to do, yeah. but I knew it was going to happen. So I've prepared for that. And and but let's 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 move on because they need to understand we become reflections of in a, in a in an imperfect way of divine grace. If we cannot show forgiveness when there's real contrition, you know, and and um, and and understanding, then our children will never trust the grace right. of, of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Because why would they? Why would the grace of the God that their parents worship um, be dramatically different than the grace that those parents? Christian parents 
showed them. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair point. It doesn't mean anything goes. Doesn't mean anything goes in our faith. But but whenever forgiveness is requested, it should be granted, mm-hmm. and there should be. Um, I mean, that grace, that free gift, that unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor um, needs to be evident, as limited as we as human beings can offer it. So it points to the unlimited grace of Jesus Christ. One of the things that, you know, I, th- I think um, you've mentioned in the past and, and is worth repeating is, you know, how you force your kids to go to church. Um, and at this point, you know, I, I don't think you have to much anymore. Um, you, you know, you start to see your kids kind of taking that on, on as their own. But but setting that standard early on that, nope, it's Sunday, you are in church, even if you're traveling, even if you have whatever going on, setting that expectation, um, that has become, you know, countercultural, or at least not the not the norm, um, even among people who who go to church to kind of force your kids to go there. And one of the things that um, worries me, but but you know, has definitely been on my mind as I prepare to you know have to force my own son to to, to go to church, is I think it's curious when you know it comes to. Something that poses a you know real obvious threat to your to your child. Um, parents will step in with a very strong hand. Um, you're not going to let your kid eat candy every night for dinner. You know that the health risk that that poses. You're not going to let your kid, you know. Um, parents are always trying to figure out by you know the organic juice, the one that doesn't have the additives that might be damaging to their health long term, or they want to put them in the best schools because they understand the damage that a bad education does. And then when it comes to spirituality, I don't I don't know if they you know if there's a distrust that missing church actually causes spiritual damage. That might be part of it that we don't actually believe that missing church will do damage long term. Because I think if we believe that, we do. correct, then we would be as heavy-handed with them going to church as you know I might be with him avoiding super sugary drinks. Um, and if we can learn to view those one in the same, that that forcing them to go to church is this healthy practice that sets them up for success long term. <laughs> You know, then I think we understand why it's so important to to maybe make that an expectation and make that a a rule early on. Well, let's look at it in a more positive way. I don't force my kids to go to church. There's just no other option. Well, yeah, Um, correct. And because that's what we are doing as a family. Yeah. And if if I go to church and Sherilyn comes to church and they don't, then we've split the family unit. Yeah. And that's not what we do on the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, as they get older and, and, and all the different things vie for their time, it's one of the few times we are all together. And what better place to be all together mm-hmm. than, than in prayer and worship? Even if in our context, we're not all in the same pew, yeah. and, but we're still there together. We still yeah. hear the same things and say the same things, which is why I really, and I have, there's some very fine people that I really um, care much about who will say this. I'm not being I'm not being judgmental, but I will hear families. I'll even hear churches. Um, some churches will cancel 
church when New Year's Day or Christmas yep. falls on a Sunday yep. and say, this is a family day. Or people won't come to church and say, well, Sunday is our family yep. day. Well, that's just, I don't understand that comment. Why is coming to church together a um, the antithesis of a family gathering? Yeah. I think it's the yeah. culmination of a family gathering because now you're with the family of God. Now you're with your co-heirs with Jesus Christ, with God our Father. There's yeah. nothing more family, um, yeah. the Virgin and Mary, church. our mother. There's nothing more family than coming to Mass on a Sunday morning. And, and then that being said, you know, you know, whenever we have family days in our house, we're all in different rooms. Yeah. We're not together yeah. sitting there strumming kumbaya on our ukuleles and, and doing that. I mean, that some, if you are, great. Some but. families might do that. It's just a, um, what it looks like in my household usually. Um, so, I, I again, I think my kids don't have the option. If they don't brush their teeth in the morning, that was an aberration. That was a mistake. Right. And because that, I know the importance of that. It yeah. matters. For them, it matters for all kinds of reasons, and so there's no other alternative. It's not they have to go to school unless they're yep. ill. Yep. I mean, the same if you're ill, don't go to church. You we know? understand the the importance of education, absolutely, and the and danger of not having it. And 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 when when our children like, there's not a single child in my house on an almost daily basis. I don't want to go to school. I understand that, but you know, go ahead. Cars running, let's go. Yep. We're we're going. Yeah, so, and it's because we've become convinced of the benefit of that. Yeah, and if we. I'm afraid not all of us have the the same convincing of the benefit of church. Well, I think we need to get to that place where that expectation is is set. And I would challenge parents, and I need to think this through before I say it, but I'm not going to. But we're I, live on a podcast. We're so. live on a podcast. Is that when when we say I want my kids to have a choice, that I think means or they need to make their own choice. I think that means that the parent is completely okay if if with both options. Yep. yep. There are some things in my child's life and in the world I'm not okay with both options. Right. Brushing your teeth or not? I'm not okay, I'm not okay with, okay with alternative. And so if, if I'm saying you can, you need to make your own decision on this, that means I'm okay if you don't. That means I'm, I'm fine if, if you don't have a life of faith. Yeah. I can't force a life of faith on my child. But I can say, in this house, this is what, you know, to quote Joshua, as for, as for me, me and, and my, my house, house, we, we will, will serve, serve the Lord. Lord. Um, but we do that in all kinds of other moral and ethical right. things. You know, you in my house, we're not going to say that that racial slur in this house. And as long as you're in my house, those words aren't going to come Correct. out of your mouth. So why is it any different? You're not okay with the alternative. Right. Um, right. And I think we have to, this, I think parents have to come to terms and we've said this before, and I think people know it's the truth, but no one wants to hear it. If we want our child to have a lively faith, we have to have a lively mm-hmm. faith. It's like with you, I heard, I think this is good advice. The best way to be a parent to your son, to be a father to your son, is to love his mother. Yeah. And if you love his mother, then you will love your son. Yeah. You, you mean just, it's not, it's not a choice. Right. Do I love my wife or to love my son? You do both. Yeah. But, but you've got to prioritize these things. And so right. I think if we're insecure or uncertain or we are um, whatever about our own faith, then we're afraid these children may ask us questions we can't answer. Yeah. Or we're afraid that we may not live up to a standard that we think we must live up to, which means we don't understand grace. Yeah. We don't understand human nature. Right. So you, you're not going to live up to whatever standard that yeah, is. No Talk, family is an idol. We're, we're, all, we're all the same. That's why we come and we ask for forgiveness and we receive mercy. No one, I mean, we all strive to do our best mm-hmm. and to live differently, but we're going to screw up. Yeah. That's at the center of Christian faith. Right. The 
the, the central icon of Christianity in the West is one of defeat and sin. Yeah. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our weakness mm -hmm. to show us we don't have to do this on our own, that we can't do this on our own. His life, his love, his grace living in us is what makes us righteous, yeah. not ourselves. If we have the opposite understanding, we have the wrong understanding of, of Christianity. What were some of the, uh, this is, you know, what we can kind of close our time with, something a little fun. Um, that hasn't been fun? <laughs> well, lighthearted, maybe. Um, I, I've been thinking about, you know, uh, probably overly ambitious planning of, you know, no. once he gets here, here are the things I'm excited to do. Um, and Chloe has had to... Once he gets here, the thing you're going to be excited to do is take a nap. Yeah, Chloe has had to temper my expectations yeah. because, you know, I am i can't wait till he's this old and I can take him to the park and take him to a baseball game. Spiritually speaking, um, did you have things that you enjoyed doing with with any of your children? Um, especially, you know, when they, were, when they were very, very young. Were there things that you found enriching um, prayers to do with them or reading with them or anything like that, that that sticks out? What I have found that I have enjoyed um, is, I mean, what's interesting is, is that Sherilyn did most of that sort of stuff in the evening, bedtime routine, yeah. um, for, for two reasons. One is that for 10 years, you know, her her vocation was, was in the home, right. um, and we're grateful for that. And because of my schedule, she was the most consistent one there. So she would she would teach a lot of the prayers, which is actually very common. I mean, I mm -hmm. think of John Wesley was taught the faith not by his vicar father, but yeah. by his mother, Susanna. Um, and so she was instrumental on that. What I have done, though, and what I have loved to do is to, um, is to take them on local and um, international pilgrimage. Mm. So I love taking them to churches, and I love, and so I've taken, um, Abby's gone with me, my eldest, to Israel, mm -hmm. Holy Land. Walker's going next year. I confirmed the dates for 2026 yesterday, and so Luke will be going on that one. So being able to um, shepherd them and to show them places and to lead them in prayers and to, and to help them after they've had this, this adolescence of being exposed in a local context to then say, the, to be able to be their God and to, yeah. and to help them see things has been a great, great gift. And I, you know, I try to take them on little trips where we go places and go to churches and see that, and that's always fun. Um, and then that's always a, a good um, avenue for a conversation and reflection. Yeah. But that has been the greatest joy for me. So, as a parent, with with um, with the eldest. Um, walking ten days in the Holy Land mm -hmm. has been has been has been the most uh, extraordinary experience. Yeah, I think um, you know I've bought all these little micro icons and you know my baby's first rosary that's a little teething toy, um, and then you know I'm thinking about people always talking. That's about a message here, you know, <laughs> chewing on the rosary. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. it was it was a nice little. It was on our on, on our registry. Uh, we it's the it was hungry quite mysteries. Fun. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but those, you know, I, I think as I, as it gets closer and closer, it's those quiet moments in the home, um, where I'm going to be, you know, hundred percent dedicated for, for a couple of weeks to him and his first weeks. And Chloe's thankfully going to, you know, have a little bit longer, um, where that's, that's the whole focus. And it's those quiet moments in the home where, 
you know, you kind of realize that um, a lot of what happens in the world is quickly distractions. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the cliche, um, but, you know, there's something about, you know, a new life that really hones in the focus on what is really important um, and what spiritual things are, are really important and what things will be a foundation. The great gift that you'll experience that, that you, we can, a person can say this is happening, but it's not going to matter until, until yeah. you see your child for the first time, is that in that moment, a dramatic shift is that you are no longer living for yourself. Yeah. And even you may live for your spouse, but but yeah, it's different. It's different. You you your reason for being on this planet and staying alive and staying healthy has now shifted completely. Is that you exist so that this one can exist, mm -hmm. whereas your wife is your partner. But now you your whole. I mean. You're, you're, this is now it's, your, a, it's the passing of the torch. You know, that's the it, real it, symbol and, of it. And and there's a there's a there's a fundamental shift in priority and yeah. care and all that. I will say that I I bought all of my children. They all have a rosary. Oh yeah. They all have a Saint Augustine's prayer yeah. book. They all have a Bible. All have a prayer book. They all have a a copy of Enid Chadwick's My Book my of the Church's Church Year. Yeah. You know they have they have a, an original copy, and it's completely buried in a bag in their closet yep. somewhere. Yep. So be prepared. Oh, yes. for all those things. <laughs> Never to Expectations pull them out. high, and the bar comes but they crashing have them. down. But they have them though, and it's they there. will remember them. They, one day. And they will use them. Yeah, but they have them. Well, if you are listening to this this week, um, say a prayer for me and for Chloe. And we plan on being back next week. Um, you're going to line up some guests. So I may be gone next week or gone in two weeks, um, whenever whenever the, the time is right. But we'll have some guests come in and, and fill in for me so the yeah. podcast will continue. Be good. All right. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen.